Hey fellow Stockardians, hope you're doing well. It's almost end of the year. 2021 is coming to, the, to its end and we have a perfect episode today for you. So Paul Essen, who is the man behind Freedom Portfolio, one of the highest returning portfolio on a stock card, is here with me today. And uh, we're gonna tell you why, because he does this excellent why predictions every year about what's gonna happen during the year. And then every year he goes back to his predictions because he's such a good investor. And then he basically rank himself or score himself in terms of how well he did. So. Because 2021 is coming to an end, we have Paul to go through his 2021 predictions and tell us what happened, what, why some works and what did not work, what did he learn, and then hopefully we can bring him back in for 2022 predictions. Without further ado, Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's, it's going to be a fun episode, I hope. Yes, it's going to be fine. Um, there, you made some wide predictions and the market uh, kind of met you there and uh, did some of their own, its own wide things in response to your predictions. So we're going to go yeah. go through them. So let's just start from having a conversation before we even go to the um, predictions. First of all, where are these predictions? If stock guardians want to read them and see what you have, um, tell us where they can find it. That's number one. And number two, tell us about why do you do this event? Why, why bother trying to predict and then going back to them and review what happened? Sure. Yeah. So if you want to find my, my bold predictions, I think I call them recklessly bold predictions. You can check out my blog, paulversethemarket.com. I usually write them up um, around December. So I, I kind of score myself at the end of the year and then make my new predictions around the same time. So I'm getting, I'm preparing for my, my new predictions for 2022 right now. Um, if you don't, if you're having trouble finding it, you can just search for bold. You'll probably find it pretty easily there. And the reason why I decided to do this. Um, I, so Bear with me. I, I play fantasy football and there's a fantasy football analyst called Matthew Berry who did something very similar where every year he'd kind of come up with these predictions that he wasn't necessarily um, predicting that these things would happen, but there are things that he wouldn't be surprised that they would happen. So it's it's easy to say that the number one drafted running back is going to lead the league in rushing, but it might be kind of a bold and, and recklessly bold, one might even say prediction to say that the 15th ranked running back is going to lead the league in rushing. And his, his idea was not necessarily to get them 100% right, but to maybe get, you know, 10, 20% of them right or something like that. And I, I kind of like that mindset because um, sometimes it's kind of easy to just say like, oh, I think the FANG stocks are going to do well. I think Microsoft's going to outperform the market, stuff like that. But it's, um, there's a lot more uh, to be gained if you can find those hidden gems. It's the same thing with fantasy football, right? Like if you can find those sleepers, they can win you a league. It's kind of the same thing in investing. If you can find those those um, those up and coming companies uh, that have the potential to really crush the market, that's where you, you can see a lot of alpha. And so that's why I kind of decided to do a, kind of a similar thing, where um, it's it's not supposed to be like, oh, I think Google's going to do really well this year. It's not. It's not kind of. Hopefully, they're not boring, right? And um, I, ideally, honestly, if if I get a hundred percent of them right, that means I'm not being bold enough. It's something where I'm hoping that I get some right. Obviously, I don't want to be completely wrong all the time. But I'm, I want them to be crazy enough that I only get maybe 10%, 20%, 30% of them right. And the rest of them, hopefully I get close to, but um, you know, I, I want them to be bold, but also stuff that are achievable. 
I'm says, I love that you say if I'm 100% correct, that means I'm just playing safe. And I'm just like exactly. looking at things that everybody know. You know, that saying, that old saying that in order to gain outsized return, you've got to be somehow contrarian in the market. And then if all of your predictions are turning out correct, so you're probably not being contrarian, you're just like following the trend. And that's, there's probably not enough outsized return in that prediction. How do you go about it though? Like, what is your process? Do you start from, let's say, reading a bunch of things about trends or do you look at your portfolio and then come up with, or what, what is the starting point? Like of all the University of the Stocks, you, last year you chose about five or six companies that you talked about or tried to predict what's going to happen. How did you come down to these five, five trends? So, um, I'm kind of lazy, right? Like uh, I usually focus on my portfolio and the stocks that I follow because there's there's so many companies out there. It's it's kind of impossible to cover them all, especially when you've got three kids at home like I do and a full-time job. So um, mostly I, I stick with companies that I follow, which 90% of the time is going to be stuff in my portfolio. And usually what I look at is I'll look at uh, companies that have performed really well, performed really poorly, or where I think there's a big discrepancy between where I expected them to be doing, how I expect them to be doing, and how they have been doing. Um, and if, I, if there's a big discrepancy there, then sometimes I'll say, you know what, you know, 2020 wasn't their year, but I think 2021 will be their year. Or, uh, you know, this company I thought was doing really well, it's, it hasn't been doing too well, maybe they're gonna get acquired because there's some value there and, and maybe some other company's gonna see some value there. Or, um, you know, sometimes it's, it's kind of a contrarian thing where it's like, this company doubled in 2020 and I think they can double again in 2021. Um, because they've just that on fire and there's so many, um, you know, tailwinds behind them. So, uh, again, I, I try, I try not to go with the obvious ones, right? Like, um, but I also try and go with stuff that, uh, makes sense based on trends and what I have in my portfolio. And then you call them reckless bold predictions. So do you take actions based on your predictions? Do you take reckless bold move actually based on what you predicted? Yeah. So I, I said before, I, I'm, if I'm 100% right, then I'm doing something wrong. I do hope that I'm directionally correct, right? So if I'm saying that uh, a company is going to double, then it, I'm hoping that it'll at least beat the market or maybe go up 50% or something like that, even if it doesn't quite double. So every prediction I make, I'm hoping is is directionally correct. Um, and yeah, I mean, my, my money's be where my mouth is for most of these. Um, I think, like I said, most of these are companies that are my, my portfolio. Uh, there are companies I'm invested in usually. If I take a look and I'm, I'm predicting something's going to double, that's usually top of my watch list for something to add to once I free up some cash, usually by selling another position. So yeah, they're usually, honestly, in some ways, it might be a little boring because the companies that I make predictions on are usually companies that I've written a lot about because I'm like, hey, you know, there's a lot of opportunity here. Um, so in that sense, they might be a little bit predictable, but um, I try to offset that by predicting outsized gains sometimes. I love it. Um, in a way, all, we are, all of us like long-term investors, we are always making reckless bold predictions because if you go and invest in a company that doesn't make it like a biotech that doesn't make any money yet, or if you're investing in a fast, rapidly growing stock, um, uh, stock that is like the PE is up off the charts and like, there's none of the valuations even make sense. We're basically hoping that it's going to be doubled and tripled and like crazy returns. 
Uh, and that's always this sort of, a, but we never look at it from that point of view. So I, what I love about your approach is that you actually formalize it in a way for yourself and then like five, five or six, makes five or six bets that could have the potential of that sort of like outsized return. And uh, that's why I wanted to have you on the show. I think it's, it's a really, really good practice for anyone to be able to kind of make, dare to make formal um bold predictions and reckless predictions of wide predictions and then put the money behind it and then actually kind of come back to it and score himself or herself against what he didn't learn but i guess there's a lot of learning in this process right and we're going to talk about some of that in terms of what did you learn from if something happened or something did not happen or was it correct correct direction or not so are you ready to dig into your 2021 predictions and uh sort of talk about them I'm as ready as I'll ever be. This has not been the greatest uh, year for my predictions. Uh, past years have been better, but it's like I said before, right? If I'm 100% right all the time, then I'm not being bold enough. So let's, let's do this. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So uh, I'm on your uh, Paul versus the market uh, blog or website, Paul versus the market.com. As Paul said, if you said, I search predictions and it's just showed up all the years, all the history of his predictions are there. Um, and if you don't know where it is, obviously on a stock card, uh, Freedom Portfolio, you have the link to his, his blog as well, or his website as well. So if you don't know where to go, you could just go Paul versus the market.com or go to Paul's Freedom Portfolio on stockcard.io and then um, click on the website link. All right. So 2021 prediction number one, Shopify will become one eighth the size of Amazon. I was a longtime shareholder in Amazon, and one of the bull thesis for Amazon was that they basically had a stranglehold on e-commerce. Anytime anybody wanted to buy something online, Amazon was kind of the first and maybe the only place you went to go shopping. And even before COVID, uh, I had been get, getting the sense that for a number of reasons, that wasn't necessarily the case anymore. People who had grown up more comfortable with the internet were more comfortable going to maybe Walmart or Home Depot or other places if they were interested in buying something. They didn't always necessarily go only to Amazon and, and buy it there. There had also been a lot of reports about some concerns over um, fraudulent reviews on Amazon, um, some cheap knockoff products that were being sold through Amazon. And from the other side, a lot of people who were selling on Amazon were kind of upset that Amazon was starting to create their own products and kind of ripping them off and selling ads uh, to maybe place their competitors' results higher than their own results on, on the site. And you don't have a lot of control over the data that you get from your customers through Amazon. And so there was a lot of, of kind of pressure building maybe on both sides that would seem to indicate that maybe Amazon couldn't maintain that stranglehold they had on, on at least the United States uh, domestic e-commerce. And so to me, the clear winner of that movement away from Amazon being the, the kind of one place that you go for buying stuff online with Shopify. Their their motto is arming the, re the rebels and they've kind of consistently cast Amazon as the evil empire and they're the rebels that are trying to fight against it. And it seems like if you're thinking, if you're a, a brand that's selling previously on Amazon and you want to kind of break away and create your own storefront, that Shopify would be a clear beneficiary of that. Um, so I guess taking a step back, in the past, my prediction might be like Shopify will grow 50% this year or maybe will double this year or something like that. But in 2020, a lot of these companies that are making predictions about had already had some pretty crazy years where they had doubled or tripled. And so I was a little uncomfortable making a prediction that they were going to double or triple again in 2021. And so instead of making those kind of 
uh, absolute predictions that, I, that a company would do well. I tried to frame a lot of them as relatively speaking. So um, Shopify will grow in relevance compared to Amazon in terms of market cap. Now, it's not a great um, comparison because anyone who follows Amazon closely knows that a lot of Amazon's market cap is due to AWS and, and other stuff that's kind of unrelated to e-commerce. So it's a fun prediction to say that, you know, Shopify is going to, the, the rebellion is going to continue making gains against the evil empire. And, and that, that's kind of what I was making my prediction based on. It was kind of the, the long-term trend of Amazon no longer dominating e-commerce and brands being able to create their own storefronts using Shopify. Yeah. Well, I mean, in a way, um... So yes, Amazon has a lot of its value coming from AWS, especially because it's very profitable business. So people give a lot of credit to uh, Amazon because of its profitable AWS business, like high margin, basically high, very high margin business versus his retail side is not, sometimes it's not even profitable, but you know, it kind of balances it up. But in, in, if you turn it around as well on, on Shopify, Shopify also has all these ancillary um, uh basically services. So it's not now only, what I really love about Shopify is it's not only just like a storefront um, for, for retailers, like individual retailers, small retailers, but it's basically a home to run their business. I think I was listening to one of these conference calls with their leadership team on Shop Shopify, and I learned this from them. They say retailers log in, like online retailers who is on Shopify, log in to Shopify account as the home to run their business. And that that's include their analytics, obviously inventory management, running those store promotions. Even I think they have, if I'm not mistaken, they have even this um, loan, uh, loan and financing business or something like that that they're working on that allow people to have working capital. So it is, it gets a lot of its also growth from those sort of non-retail aspects of its business. So I love that you're comparing these two together. It's a very good yardstick, basically. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it hasn't, it hasn't come to pass yet. So I think when I made the prediction, uh, it was around, Shopify was around 9% the size of Amazon. And to become one eighth, it had to get to about 12 and a half percent. And right now it's around 10% the size of Amazon. So it's gained, it's had a Shopify's, um, and I should, I guess, say there's been a lot of volatility in the market as you alluded to. So I pulled these numbers, uh, you know, um, yesterday, who knows how, where they are by the time you're listening to this, but you know, so far Shopify's had a slightly better year than Amazon. So directionally I was right. You would have been yeah. better off investing in Shopify versus Amazon, but it quite hasn't quite hit that number yet. So yeah. typically I would score this as a loss, but it would be a prediction that I would have been somewhat happy with because um, I was on the right track. Yeah, I think it's not lost. It's still, it still has potential. And who knows, by, by and like we're December 6th now, we're recording on December 6th. By December 30th, we might be a totally different place than Shopify must have, might have very good news or something going on with Amazon. Who knows with this crazy market. And would you, would you continue to bet on it? Because I am, as a person who's reading it, I'm, I, if I was going to put my money behind any of these bets, I would, I would put my money behind this one um, because I think it's, to your point, it's directionally correct. Are you in the same sort of thought process? Do you agree? Are you still, do you still believe this is the right prediction? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I try to avoid making um, similar or identical bets uh, or predictions on back-to-back -back years, but this is absolutely another prediction that I would make in 2022 if I didn't have that stipulation. Shopify is my top holding in the Freedom Portfolio. Um, I used to be an investor in Amazon. I no longer am. I, I sold my position um, reluctantly after Bezos stepped down because 
there yeah. were enough question marks in terms of the size of the company and some of the challenges facing it. So um, yeah, I absolutely believe going forward that Shopify will be a better performer than Amazon. And I think that they will get to that one eighth the size and, and more um, yeah. in the coming years. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. All right, so if, if we give you a, a minus one for a loss and a one for a gain, this is maybe zero because you were gonna give you a loss, but I'm gonna just be a little bit more lenient because you're almost correct. Uh, so we're giving it zero. You're still at zero. So it's still, it's still there's time. There's plenty of negatives coming up, so I'll take it. <laughs> All right. Okay. So uh, prediction 2021 wild prediction two is Etsy will grow to 3% the size of Amazon. Uh, so it was, um, at the time I wrote this, it was, um, which is a year ago, it was 1.5% the size of Amazon and is 1.7% the size of Amazon now. So again, directionally correct, but barely. I would technically score that as a loss. I'll let you decide in terms of if I should get a zero or not. Um, but the reason I made it, so almost everything that I said before about Shopify and Amazon, it kind of goes for this as well. The, the idea that Amazon no longer kind of has a stranglehold over um, United States e-commerce. And Etsy, I think used to be considered kind of a place you might go to maybe on Mother's Day, maybe on Christmas to get like the occasional customized thing. I think it's grown a little bit beyond that now. I don't think it's solely just a holiday um, place to go. And one other trend that I'm pretty bullish on, and it hasn't worked out yet in my favor, but is the idea of uh, the way that people work changing going forward. And I think this was changing before COVID, but I think it's been accelerated because of COVID. The idea that a lot of people aren't content just going and being a nine to five worker working for somebody else. I think there's been more of a trend towards people wanting to be entrepreneurial, wanting to start up side hustles, wanting to uh, have a different type of, of work environment. And I think that also helps play into Etsy's strengths because who, who's the other side? Who's the sellers on Etsy? It's it's not like huge companies. It's not like the Nikes and, and the whatever the Budweiser or whatever else. It's, you know, usually individuals running like a kind of a side hustle out of their their house or, you know, maybe having a few employees. And so um, this prediction was mostly running on the same uh, ideas behind that first prediction, but also the idea that Etsy could be a beneficiary of this trend towards more people kind of wanting to be entrepreneurial and uh, starting up their own business. I think um, to the point of sort of future work, you're right, spot on. I think it's it's almost like we can create a portfolio, we call it future of work, and then put these companies like Shopify and Etsy and, you know, even like something like Roblox because people make games in there or some of these, some of these Fiverr, Upwork, um, if we put these things into, in that portfolio and then come back in the next 10 years and a decade and that, that portfolio, I bet you would would hit would basically beat uh, Amazon and Google and everybody else. I mean, some of it is because of size where they are, but also it's because of the trend you're saying. It's it's basically a lot of people want to have this side hustle that might, that might become their actual hustle, and it's a lot more different than nine to five. Um, all right, in terms of a score, you're still at zero because you're directionally correct, but you didn't really get to what you predicted. But I think you should be very happy. So one of those times that two zeros in a row, it's a really, really good score. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Every time in the stock market, you don't lose money. It's still a good day, right? So. Yeah. And like I said, I've, I've got some really bad predictions coming up soon. So okay. you know, I'll take it. 
You'll take the zero. Good. Yeah. All right. 2021, bold prediction, white prediction by Paul, number three. Mercado Libre plus C Limited market caps combined to 300 billion. Yeah. Um, so right. At the time I wrote it, I believe their market caps combined were 187 billion. And at the time that I checked this, my numbers um, yesterday, it was 189 billion. So just barely above where they were before, but way far away from the 300 billion. Um, obviously, a lot of this has to do with some of the the volatility that we've seen recently. But on, but to be clear, like uh, Mercado Libre has been an underperformer for most of 2021. Um, they were a huge beneficiary of a lot of the the COVID lockdowns and stuff in 2020. And I don't quite understand why they've seen as extreme of a pullback in 2021. I don't know if it's um, just the whole like giving up the gains from the the COVID beneficiaries uh, companies, if it's the um, the flight from growth stocks, if it's concern over kind of Latin American econ um, economies or or what it is. So Mercado Libre is definitely high on my list of companies that I'm keeping an eye on as potentially adding to because I love, love, love the company. It is probably one of my top three conviction companies, um, even though it may not be one of the top three in terms of sizes right now in the freedom portfolio because it's had such a bad year. The limited is a little different. It largely had held up pretty well over 2021 until uh, a couple of weeks ago when it's, it's kind of taken a dive along with a lot of other companies. Um, I don't know if there's too much else to say. Like they both have uh, a lot of tailwinds behind them in terms of they are uh, based in large up and coming economies that have a lot of people moving, uh, becoming more affluent, getting online. They have a dominant position in terms of e-commerce and digital payments. And um, I think that the next uh, five to 10 years is going to be really great for them. And this is, like I mentioned before, this is absolutely another prediction that I would make next year if I was in the business of repeating my predictions. And I do think it's just a matter of time before these, these companies combined become 300 billion and uh, market cap. And I think it's sooner rather than later. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think again, this is one of those, those those things that your timing is not correct, but your 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 direction is correct. And on that, um, I was listening to this podcast by Netflix um, founder and CEO. Um, this is part of this um, Master of a Scale podcast series uh, that I listened to, and uh, it was very interesting re related to timing. So uh, the, he was talking about Reed Hastings, who is the uh, who now has stepped down as the CEO of Netflix, I believe. But he was saying they when they started the company, obviously it was like a mail, um, like a DVD um, a delivery for movies, like subscription, right? And then they were every year they would predict that next year or in the next five years people are gonna switch to digital streaming. And for a decade they were they every year every year they come back and they're like, shoot, it didn't happen, but we still believe it. So it's just the timing. We're not. And then they every every time they keep their rolling the business based on this assumption that people are going to switch to streaming and uh but somehow they went through the business and kept the business alive and then at one year specifically they they had again another five-year plan and then within that year that they were planning actually they had a huge turnaround in terms of people doing digital streaming and then he's like now we're even we had a five-year plan now we're only achieving it in a year plan so you will get the opposite of it so one day 
this two combined maybe would be a 500 billion business and then you're like i was not even aggressive enough um so yeah again uh, i'll give you a zero again because well their market cap didn't go down right combined so you're still directionally correct that's a low bar <laughs> yeah it's like a, yeah you know we gotta be fair yeah. um you're still on the right track and you did achieve and had we recorded this episode maybe a month ago you would have been a lot more closer to your to your prediction so take yeah. a good zero i guess paul another zero all right all right um, i'm getting ready for my negatives now okay let's go we have two more to go hopefully you keep yeah. the zero <laughs> i will not you will not all right let's go through it and see why um prediction number four by paul for 2021 either fiverr or redfin will double so there's no way to sugarcoat this one this was just way 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 wrong i think both companies by my calculations have been cut in half in 2021 so not only did neither of them double uh both of them got basically cut in half um so my thought process for fiverr was kind of piggybacking on what i said with etsy right this this kind of transition from a lot of people being content being a working a nine to five job and and wanting to transition to something being having a little bit more control over their destiny not necessarily uh putting you know all of their eggs into like a nine to five job working for somebody else and wanting to kind of be a gig worker and uh, i thought fiverr was well positioned to kind of ride that wave it was I don't remember the exact market cap at the time, but it was a pretty reasonably sized market cap. Um, and it seemed like it was pretty pretty easy for if, if those trends kind of continued with a lot of people kind of working remotely, kind of taking on um, you know side hustle work, that it could easily be a, something that doubled. Um, what ended up happening is uh, they had one earnings call in particular where I believe they said they were seeing some seasonality and some they had reduced some of their future projections and i think they saw a 25 percent drop on that day alone uh long term i still believe that the the thesis is intact obviously 2021 hasn't been the year for fiverr but uh i do think that it, two three four years down the line it's going to be a big winner um, i'm holding on to it uh it's not top of my list of, of stuff to add to right now simply because there seem to be a lot of other better opportunities um, uh, ahead of it, but uh, it's not something I'm even considering selling right now. Um, Redfin is an interesting case study because I think it's been kind of unfairly punished by uh, factors outside of its control. So obviously the housing market was completely on fire earlier in the year. It kind of drew, ran up a lot higher than it probably should have. And then once the housing market started cooling down, I feel like it's gone down a lot more than it probably should have. Additionally, once Zillow had its disastrous exit from iBuying, it, for some reason, Redfin seemed to have gotten punished a lot uh, alongside with Zillow, which, which is kind of bizarre to me because if anybody has been paying attention to Redfin and their earnings call, Glenn Kelman has always been consistently, analysts have always been asking, why aren't you going stronger into iBuying? Why aren't you going stronger into iBuying? You look at Open Door, you look at Zillow, they're all going full you know, force into iBuying. And he has always consistently been very cautious saying, I'm not sure that's the future of, of real estate is going to be everything going through iBuying. And I think it's part of a, of a, it's part of something that we can offer the customer, but it's not something that I think is going to be the only path forward. And as a result, Redfin has been very cautious. They haven't had nearly the problems of Zillow. And I think they should be rewarded for that. But instead, they seem to have been punished. So um, I'm still incredibly bullish on Redfin. 
Um, it is something that I have added to over the course of this year. And so it's for that reason, I'm not necessarily thinking of adding more right now, but I do think that um, this is this in particular, I think is going to be a longer term story because people don't buy a, buy and sell a house every year, right? If you have a good experience with Redfin, you may not be a return customer for five years down the line. And so a lot of the improvements they're making to the business are things that might not show up for a couple of years. Um, additionally, they're going to be very volatile. They're going to be affected by the, the real estate market and, and swings up and down, and that's kind of outside their control. But I think they've proven over this year where they went over the past two years, honestly, where you went from a, a COVID lockdown where they thought that everything was going to completely shut down to all of a sudden a red hot real estate market to swinging back to a slowdown and dealing with the, the eye buying debacle of Zillow, that leadership in Redfin has got things under control. And I'm really happy with uh, how they've handled everything. So uh, it's not been the greatest pick. This is definitely, um, if I could get a negative two, I would take a negative two here, but um, definitely a negative one. But I do think that long-term that these things are going, both these companies are going to be big winners. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I own uh, Fiverr and uh, it's obviously quite down from, I bought them the last time they got hit and then I had a good run and then it was really, really down. So it's on my list of probably adding. I don't own any Redfin right now, but it's, it's a, I'm a very happy customer. We sold our house through Redfin um, this past year and it was the best experience we had. And we bought our house through somebody else and it wasn't the same um, as Redfin because basically Redfin does a different price, like a white cost service and much more cheaper than anybody else. That alone, good, happy customer, good customer service and cheaper. What else, what else would you want? You know, their model is just efficient to be able to deliver that. So that's, it has everything you would want as a customer. So that's, that's why I believe in your thesis. Uh, it's just that yeah, you're right. It sort of goes through the cyclicality of it. And Fiverr to me, it's part of that, like what we talked about future work. We just talked about it before. So again, your direction is correct, but this one is one minus one because you didn't, you didn't get it <laughs> this time around. And you were fair enough. Yeah. Well, I mean, every prediction gets one score right so we can't really like play outside the rules <laughs> thank goodness for that i know okay so we're almost um past our time but we have one more uh, to go and we do want to talk about your update quick update on um your freedom portfolio before we wrap up so let's wrap up the last prediction 2021 by paul somebody will acquire teledoc usually i like to just throw in like a a rampant speculation about uh, some sort of acquisition that might happen. I think last year or, or two years ago, it was that somebody would buy Nintendo. Um, and Teladoc just seemed well positioned for that because they have been a serial acquirer. A lot of big tech companies seem to be interested in getting into health, the healthcare space. I know Amazon was making a lot of noise. I think Google has in the past made a lot of noise. Apple is always kind of flirting with it with the Apple Watch and stuff like that. And it seemed like Teladoc um, especially with the drop that they've been experiencing since that Livongo acquisition, seemed like it would be a prime candidate for someone picking up kind of on the cheap. And it would be a good fit with one of those tech companies as kind of a innovative way of getting into the healthcare space, remote um, telehealth and everything. Um, it hasn't happened yet. Will it happen in the future? I don't know. I still think it's very possible, but um, this is one of those that's just it's a little bit more fun for me to just kind of throw out rampant speculation about acquisitions um, than anything else. I don't have much more behind it other than that. 
Yeah. Well, I hope you're correct, or sometimes it happens in the next couple. I, I own a bunch of teledocs and I don't I do believe in the business. And again, I look at it from a customer point of view, and it's just the experience. It's just my dad been using teledoc during the pandemic um, for his doctor visits and things like that. And you know, even if elder, like people who are like senior people who are not as comfortable with technology, find their way around the technology and can use it and feel comfortable using it. It, it is certainly sort of that um, that indication that this is the future and this is where we're going to go to move towards. It's just a matter of how the business, um, how fast it can grow and how much cash it can generate, all that good stuff. But again, it's part of my portfolio. So I am rooting, although I'm going to give you a minus one for this, but I'm rooting <laughs> that you yeah. will have, it will be acquired at premium and we'll all be happy with our, our holdings. And um, I think Kathy would will be happy as well with us because she owns some products in her in her portfolio in her finds. Well, awesome. So if we're at the end, total score of minus two uh, out of a potential of five. But uh, I think we for effort and for directionally correct, we're gonna give you a lot more score. But like you know, the game's not like that. So you're gonna take minus two, but hopefully for your 2022 predictions, you're gonna come back stronger um well so tell us two things we're going to wrap up with two last two things one is when are you going to have your 2022 predictions so we can read it and send it to the stock guardian so that they can read it and second is uh, a quick update on uh, freedom portfolio yeah sure so um i've already started brainstorming some ideas for my 2022 predictions i haven't really put pen to paper uh so to speak yet um, I'm hoping to have it out sometime in the next maybe two weeks or so. Definitely, definitely want to get that up before Christmas, just because I don't want to have to have that looming over me during the holidays. But I also need to get a uh, an update on some um, some transactions, some changes I've made in the Freedom Portfolio. I I try to get those written up uh, within a couple of weeks of making them, and so that's the priority right now. I hope to have that out this week, and then maybe the week after have those um, bold predictions for 2022 coming out. As for the performance of the Freedom Portfolio, so 2021 has been a pretty bad year, to be quite honest. Um, in fact, uh, from the highs of February, I think my portfolio is down somewhere around 30%. And it, in terms of absolute dollar terms, it's probably been you know one of the worst drawdowns um, of my investing career. But one thing that I always like to say is like zoom out, right? And I'm not talking about the company here. I'm talking about kind of broaden your, your horizon and look out. And if you look from the beginning of 2018, when I, when I kicked off the Freedom Portfolio, I'm still crushing the market. Um, something uh, by like, I think 170 some percentage points. And if you had asked me at the end of 2020, if 2021 was going to be a good year for the Freedom Portfolio, I probably would have said maybe not, because again, it feels like a lot of growth was pulled forward with. I, I, I think investing is always um, a combination of skill and luck. And I'm, I'm, not afraid to say that I think I got pretty lucky in 2020 in terms of a lot of the companies that I was uh, heavily invested in uh, benefited from COVID and, and the lockdowns, a lot of e-commerce, a lot of online, uh, you know, telehealth and stuff like that, uh, Netflix, a lot of um, streaming services. And so I think a lot of those companies saw a lot of growth pulled forward. I'm not the type of person to try and time the market. So I, I wasn't necessarily trying to sell them at highs and then buy them back later. I, I suspected 2021 might be a bad year, but who knows? It could have just kept on skyrocketing higher. And so I'm going to hold on to it. I still have as much faith in these companies today as I did at the beginning of the year, as I did two years ago. And if you were to ask me now, is 2022 going to be a better year? I'm going to say yes. Um, I'm always going to be optimistic. 
but uh, we'll see how long this this drawdown lasts. Who, who knows over the short term what might happen? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you know, we always judge the quality of an uh, investor or portfolio on a stock card based on number of orders or number of decisions they've made that outperform the S and P five hundred because we all invest pick individual stocks of ETFs because we're trying to beat the market. Otherwise, why would, you, why would we do that, right? So yours is one of the unique ones that have majority of your decisions since the life of the, and during the life of the portfolio has outperformed the S&P 500. So that's really how we judge the quality of your decision-making process and you're certainly a great investor. Uh, as you pointed out, nobody can really say what's gonna happen in the market. And if you zoom out, we were gonna have a winner portfolio in the next couple of years. Um, so uh, we have a special um, promotion for followers of, of uh, Freedom Portfolio. Uh, since the market is on sale, uh, we're doubling the promo uh, for Paul promo code. So if you are not following uh, Paul, you should go to stockcard.io portfolio center and find Paul's Freedom Portfolio and follow it and then use promo code Paul. P-A-U-L, all lowercase, to get 20% off of your VIP subscription with StockCard. Again, we're matching markets, uh, markets being on sale. So we're giving you a double promo because Paul's gonna go and pick up some, add to his, some of the ones that are not doing as well because he believes in them as you saw, as you heard. So make sure to take advantage of this double promo code. Again, it's promo code Paul, lowercase, it's 20% discount off of your VIP subscription. Uh, so hopefully you guys take advantage of it. You follow stock guardians who are on the starter pod and uh, you'll follow Paul and see what are the stocks he's adding to his portfolio. And uh, and then uh, well, we're gonna bring him back next year and see how he did um, after a year. Paul, any last words for uh, for the uh, audience listeners on Stock Guardian before we let you go? Um, you know what? It, it's it's been stressful in the market recently, and uh, it's been stressful in the market for some people. I think those for those people who have a short term time short term investing horizon, it's incredibly stressful. But for somebody who's not planning on retiring for a couple of years, I mean, this is great. The stocks are on sale. Um, you haven't lost any money until you sold. So you know, uh, if watching your portfolio is stressful, um, you know, it's the holiday season, just close your portfolio and don't worry about it. Come back uh, in January and hopefully things are better. Um, if it's still stressing you out, then just, you know, close it again and go out for a walk. Um, don't panic, you know, stay calm and, and zoom out. And yeah, just, uh, there's, there's bigger and better things in life than investing. Investing is important, but you know, so is spending time with family and, and not being stressed out about day-to-day -day stock market movements. Yeah, that's the word of wisdom. I, I love it. Thank you so much, Paul, for doing this. Thanks for sharing this insight. And then we'll bring you back with your 2022 predictions once you have it. Thanks again for spending the time. Bye, thanks everybody. Good. Thanks for having me. Bye.